Hello and welcome to the Fit to Transform podcast, where you learn how to train and diet effectively and, most importantly, how to maintain those results for life, once and for all. I'm Nikias Tomasiello, a transgender training and nutrition coach working online with anyone who's ready for a true lifestyle transformation anywhere they may be in the world. As a friendly reminder, any and all information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult with your doctor before implementing any changes to your diet and exercise program. With that disclaimer out of the way, thank you for being here. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or pre-workouts and enjoy. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm talking to Mr. Yannis Tanus, one of the UK leading gender-affirming surgeons. He specializes in top surgery for people assigned female at birth, which is the main topic of our conversation. I also have years of experience helping multiple clients get in the best shape possible for this procedure. During the interview, we shared our respective experiences and areas of expertise and discussed what may be the best approach to training and nutrition in order for you to get the desired results from this life-changing surgery. I believe this conversation is going to be really valuable to you. So without further ceremony, let's dive straight in. Hello, dear listeners, and hello, Mr. Danus, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Nikas. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about a double mastectomy, or as we colloquially call it in the gender diverse community, top surgery. I think that this episode is going to be really helpful to gender diverse people who were assigned female at birth and are looking into top surgery as a potential procedure to go through and would also like to learn how to get into the best possible shape for it. But... Before we get into that topic, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What do you do? And why are you so awesome at it? Well, thank you very much for your kind words, Nikias, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Yanis Danos. I'm a gender-affirming surgeon. I provide top surgery, as you well said, okay, to gender-diverse individuals, not necessarily transmasculine, um, non-binary individuals too. That, uh, that they feel that this step in their journey is important. It, it, it's not for everyone. And uh, there is a referral process for someone to be considered for top surgery. But I've been doing it for a long time now, since 2017. And um, I have been doing, I have, I have performed more than 540 cases so far. So a lot of experience, um, not only on the cohort of, of, of people I work with, but also on the benefits that top surgery has on those individuals. Okay, being awesome at it, it's, yeah, well, th- th- thank you, thank you for mentioning it. I'm just trying to do the best I can for the people who require that service. Thank you for the introduction. And where are you based? I'm based in Manchester. I, I was working in the NHS since last October, I no lo- I'm no longer employed by the NHS. I have my private practice. The reasons for me leaving the NHS is a subject of a long piece I'm writing. Hopefully, it will be published in the next few months. 
Oh, that would be really interesting to read. Thank you for sharing that. So for all of my non-UK listeners, we're talking about Manchester, UK, and the NHS is the National Health System. So now that we know who you are, let's go straight into the main topic at hand. So first and foremost, I'd like to ask you, what types of top surgery procedures are available and uh, which types you perform? Yeah, so top surgery is like an, an umbrella term, okay? Mm-hmm. And the, the clinical umbrella term that includes what I do is a bilateral mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so top surgery includes different things. Different things apply for different individuals. Some of them are related to a type of set of, of specific type of chest. Generally speaking, the larger the chest is, the more, the less options we have on trying to get it flat, okay? Mm-hmm. But there are techniques, again, two major umbrella terms. On one hand, you have the double incision approach, and on the other hand, you have the keyhole approach. But again, those two include different things based on preferences, on size of the chest, on desirability to preserve nipple sensation, on, on, on how someone sees themselves in the long run as well. That makes sense. My, myself, I, I, I can do the entire range, okay? I can do double incisions, keyhole, dermal flaps. There are different things uh, that, 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 that can be considered. Okay, so um, it sounds like the main criterion is that you're looking at is the size of the chest. Is that right? The size of the chest is important on what technically can be done. Mm. But uh, not not something that technically can be done means that it should be done. So even if some recently I've seen I've seen a few a few of my patients that they were eligible for a keyhole, for example, Mm-hmm. But they chose to have a double incision. So, mm-hmm. so, so what the what someone re- desires, what someone wants to do with their chest is paramount. Then you come next to it with what the surgeon can offer and see where the two can meet. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you take into account each individual as it is their own person, not only what should be done based on maybe best surgical practice. Is that right? Absolutely. And occasionally in the past, I have gone beyond surgical recommendations. So, so, so someone that is very, very um, eager to have a certain type of procedure, even if I think it's not necessarily the best approach, I will try to offer them what they want. Okay. When I'm saying someone to someone that no, I cannot offer you this, it's either because technically it cannot be done or because that specific procedure might come with too many risks for mm. that specific individual. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm biased to liking that individualized approach because that, that's exactly what I do with my clients as well as a fitness coach. So you mentioned uh, double incision and keyhole. What are the well key differences between the two procedures? Well, aesthetically, the, 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 the double incision approach results in a chest where there are two long, at least two long scars, mm. and uh, they're pretty visible. Scars will fade with time, but it will always be kind of quoted telling of a major operation that took place on the chest. A keyhole approach is where the me- most scarring uh, 
um, stays just around the nipple areolar complex. It's a it's a kind of a minimally invasive approach mm-hmm. where you can we can approach the mastectomy from a tiny incision and it usually fades away. But very few individuals will be uh, confidently uh, small enough in size to actually have a keyhole approach. So on one one, one side you have long scars Mm -hmm. and if nipples are present, scars around the nipples. Mm -hmm. On the other, you have scars only around the nipples. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. Now, I'd be interested in um, knowing more about your views on how a patient can take advantage of fitness in order to get the best results from top surgery. I have the I have had the honor and still do of helping some clients prepare for top surgery and then also uh, get back safely into exercise afterwards. So I'd like to cover both aspects in the timeline. So when it comes to using training, for example, to enhance your results, how important is to build muscles in the pecs to essentially make your job as a surgeon easier? Okay. Um... These are a lot of things, and 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 there are different parts of someone's journey mm-hmm. towards and after top surgery. Okay? Yes, we'll start with before top surgery, and yeah. then we'll cover after. Okay, so let's start with before. First of all, it's a general advice for everyone to mm-hmm. try and maintain a level a, a level of exercise in their lifestyle to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, okay, a, a balanced diet and regular exercise is essential for well-being. Okay, mm-hmm. but it's not a prerequisite mm-hmm. to have top surgery. Mm-hmm. So, so not all bodies will be perfect in 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 muscular volume. Those individuals who want to have an aesthetically pleasing outcome. Mm-hmm. that is consistent with what they have in their minds regarding their bodies, mm-hmm. they should try to prepare before surgery. They should mm. try and build up as much as they can the pectoralis major muscles, the main chest wall muscles. By having more prominent muscles, they will help the surgeon to define the anatomical lumbarks Mm-hmm. to place the, the scars exactly where they should be to correspond to the inferior edge of the muscle so that they are as less visible as possible. That makes sense. That, of course, Nikias, is mm-hmm. valid for someone who wants to have a well-sculpted chest for their own bodies. Not mm-hmm. everyone necessarily have to do that. There are surgeons who are following very strict guidance when it comes to a patient's BMI, for example. Mm-hmm. I personally don't. I have done the, the procedure in, in, in individuals with BMI above 40. Okay, I'm limited to those, to up to 40 where I currently operate due to logistical issues. They can still have a, a flat chest. And for some of them, the fact that they are having top surgery will be the motive they need to then go and have regular exercise and then try to build their muscles, which is absolutely fine as well. So building up the pecs is key for what 
stereotypically most of us will consider a, 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 a masculine flat chest. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining and also for clarifying that one, it isn't necessary to either um, build muscle in the pecs if that's, if a, as you call that stereotypically masculine chest isn't the kind of results you're looking for. And also that it's not necessary to lower your BMI below a certain threshold, at least not for every surgeon. Like in your case, you operate people on people that have a BMI of up to 40. So I think it's important to uh, convey this message that, as you said, for some people... Can I just make a comment, Niggas? Absolutely. Um, Even in those individuals who do not wish to build up their pecs before surgery, Mm -hmm. I suggest that they start working out a bit because that will probably get them in the habit that it's more likely to stay after surgery. Mm. So, so, so I always try to tell my patients, try to get in the mood of regular exercise, because once your top surgery is done, you will see that you will want to do that more. Okay, so, so have the endorphins working and, and see how far you can get. Thank you for uh, making that comment, actually, and uh, I. Personally, again, I am biased. I am a fitness professional. I do want people to exercise. But I also believe that building muscle and strength strengthens the body. So having, as you said, a balanced diet, an appropriate amount of calories and macronutrients can help and uh, getting into regular exercise can help you potentially um, recover, be prepared for surgery physically, and then recover from it as well as possible as well, because the healthier your body is before the surgery, uh, the easier, uh, common sense tells me, recovery can be if you're well nourished and you exercise regularly. You're absolutely right, okay? Um, Breathing capacity is important. These are long operations under general anesthetic. Um, Smokers should not should, should be advised to smoke to, to cease smoking for at least 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, so breathing is important. Uh, uh, caloric intake is important as well. Bodies will use all its resources to heal after surgery. You, if, if someone is malnourished, there is no way they can do that. Mm-hmm. Experience with some form of cardio is important. After a major operation, you want someone to be able to stand up and start working straight away, okay? Mm-hmm. Someone who is uh, bed-bound and never does anything active might struggle after that. So balanced diet, regular exercise, looking after yourself is important. Yeah, so we are in agreement with that. And on the comments you made about the caloric intake, what I usually do with my clients, if they have a goal of uh, fat loss before top surgery, for the reason that you mentioned where you want to be well nourished for the surgery, I normally end or pause the fat loss phase uh, at least 
two to four weeks before surgery takes place. So that basically what that means is that their calories will be in a deficit. So lower than their maintenance, what they need to maintain their weight for the duration of the fat loss phase. That's how fat loss occurs. But then two to four weeks before the surgery, we take those calories back to maintenance so that they maintain the a new lower weight they have achieved so that they have the right amount of nutrients and calories getting into their body and they remain stable for at least a few weeks before the surgery. And that's how I've done it so far. And that's yeah. how my clients have been prepared to not only recover well from surgery, but also maintain their results because they've been practicing maintenance, which is challenging. If you're always only focusing on fat loss and when you're not focusing on fat loss, you're not really bothering with your diet at all. It's going to be really challenging to maintain your hard earned results. And I found that by practicing maintenance before surgery, that helps clients recover from surgery well and maintain the results until they can safely return to exercise. So I'm glad you mentioned the importance of caloric intake. That makes a lot of sense, Nikias. What I what I what what should also mention is mm-hmm. that no one should ever try to lose weight uh, fast. Uh, just having in mind that I have to lower my BMI to make myself eligible for top surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you are risking a lot by trying to lose too much weight in too short time. There are common stories uh, online of people who try to do that and ending up with um, with an eating disorder. You definitely don't want to go that route. And you should always have some guidance when you're trying to alter your diet. Yes, that's a good point. In fact, I normally recommend my clients or, or anybody looking to prepare with a, for top surgery and intending to go on a fat loss diet to give themselves at least six months, depending on how much body fat they carry uh, and uh, how knowledgeable they are about going through the process. And if they hire a coach to give the coach enough time to get to know their body and give them appropriate advice. So minimum, um, I would say six months, particularly if somebody is very new to a structured approach to fitness, uh, taking into account both training and nutrition. Because as you said, Losing weight really fast not only is potentially unsafe for surgery, and it can lead to extreme behaviors like eating disorders, uh, but it's also, and most importantly, very difficult to maintain. So that weight loss that occurs very fast is unlikely to stay after the fact. So what's the point of getting yourself into that situation when you're not even going to enjoy the results for very long, if at all? Yep, totally, totally right. I totally agree. Awesome. So we're on uh, the same page there. And uh, now my next question would be, so in the long term, then we've established that if you're interested in a certain appearance, then building up your packs beforehand could be helpful. And getting into a regular exercise routine in general could be beneficial so that, as you said, you build up the habit because potentially top surgery will be the motivation you need. Mm-hmm to get into regular exercise afterwards. And we've established that you need a bit of a longer timeline in order to prepare if you intend on going on a diet, whether that's to build muscle or to lose fat. Now, in the shorter term, so closer to the surgery, maybe around 
two to four weeks, six weeks before, are there any specific nutritional or exercise recommendations that you would make? For example, you've mentioned um, no, not, not smoking for at least 12 weeks before yes. surgery. So, so, so not smoking, alcohol with moderation. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the odd glass of wine will probably not hurt, okay, but definitely not too much alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, high protein should help, high protein intake. Mm -hmm. And generally, balanced diet, not extreme things, but definitely receiving the caloric amount to maintain where you are, not deficit anymore, as you already mentioned. Mm -hmm. What are important things also before surgery is try to protect the skin mm -hmm. of the area that, uh, that we're planning to operate. So I would avoid anything that would interfere with skin elasticity or skin quality. Sometimes wearing two uh, constrictive binders can have an adverse um, outcome to both the, the breathing capacity and to the skin elasticity. So mm -hmm. two, three, four weeks before surgery, minimizing binding and looking after the skin. So when you say binding, does that include tape as well? It depends. Some people will respond very well to tape, and it's preferable because it doesn't give that 360 compression on the chest that uh, constricts breathing. But mm -hmm. for some people, tape might be cause uh, some skin infections, maybe exaggerate acne, which is a known side effect of, of, of tea if someone is on tea. Um, so, so if if your skin supports tape, it's definitely preferable compared to binding. Okay, so either no no binding and no tape at all if your skin doesn't respond well to tape, or it's okay to tape in the last few weeks before surgery yes. if your skin responds to it. If if someone cannot cope with tape, but they should avoid binder. Um, then a sports bra just for the two to three weeks prior to the procedure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, no smoking, moderate alcohol, high protein and a balanced diet with the appropriate caloric intake to maintain your weight and uh, no binders for three to four weeks and tape only if your body doesn't get skin infections or if it doesn't aggravate acne. Is that right? Perfect. Is there anything else at all or have we mentioned everything? No, preparing for surgery, that's about it. Also, okay. I would say that um, if you are on any medication, keep taking it as usual, but also mm -hmm. always check with your with your surgeon or your doctor if you need to make any alterations closer to the day of the procedure. So I've heard, uh, but I don't know much about it, uh, that some surgeons want you to stop taking testosterone before yep. surgery. What are your thoughts on that? There is no scientific evidence that discontinuing testosterone has any difference, makes any impact on the surgery. There might be a small issue if someone is on injectable tea and mm. the day of the injection coincides specifically with the date of operation, in mm. which case it can be postponed for a day. Mm. But other than that, there is no justification to stop testosterone. 
So you don't ask your patients to do that? No, I don't. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for covering that. It was, uh, I learned something new as well, along with the audience. So that covers the period of time before top surgery. Now, once the surgery is done, what does recovery look like? You've mentioned that you want somebody to be able to stand up and walk around as soon as possible. Yeah, in general, in surgery, and this is a, a, a general axiom of modern surgery, mm-hmm. most of the operations are, are done with the aim to, to be performed as day cases. Yes. So to allow for the patient to be discharged the same day, they need to be active. They need to be able to accommodate themselves, use the loo on their own. To do that, we, they are encouraged to stand up and walk pretty much straight away. Mm. There are, however, restrictions after top surgery. The two key ones are that no heavyweight lifting should be done for six weeks mm-hmm. and no arm overstretching. My definition of arm overstretching is moving the arms above the level of the shoulders. Mm. Both of these will probably not cause any significant direct harm, but they will most likely stretch the scars. Mm. And the wider the scars are, the more difficult they are to, quote it, hide. Mm. I see. Apart from that, there are no restrictions. Whatever your body allows you to do after surgery, you should try and do it. I see. So, in in your experience... When you say whatever your body allows you to do, mm-hmm. what can somebody expect? So in the first week or two, is it, in my experience, it really depends on the person. Um, but in general, people are pretty much immobile. They, they have to let their body rest for at least a few days to a week. So, so you're right that it's an individual uh, response. Mm-hmm. And we all experience things differently. We all experience major trauma differently as well. And mm-hmm. we have a different uh, way to, to deal with pain. And pain will always be there in one way or the other after surgery. What, what I always advise my patients is don't stay in bed all day. Don't mm. consider yourself sick. You're not sick. You're just recovering. Mm-hmm. Try to walk around. Keep yourself hydrated. Go for a walk. The moment your body asks you to stop because you are tired, stop. Listen Mm -hmm. to your body. But staying in bed for too long, one, uh, extends the the, the time of recovery. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it actually puts you on a greater risk of post-operative complications like deep venous thrombosis. Mm-hmm. Lots on your legs, for example. So, so it's imperative to mobilize yourself as much as your body allows after surgery. Most of my patients should be able to go back to desk jobs after two weeks. Mm-hmm. And probably anything cardio-related. For heavyweight lifting and for overstretching, six weeks. That makes sense and corresponds to what I know about recovering from an injury, for example, um, whereby it's actually not advisable to be completely immobile and bedbound because that actually, for one, it results in muscle loss 
which then makes the body weaker, which then, as you said, extends the recovery timeline. And uh, also, it psychologically, if you stop moving altogether because you're afraid, for example, you've had an injury of uh, making it worse, uh, then it's going to be much harder to build back up to your original fitness levels. So that makes sense to me um, from what I know, based on what I know about exercise. So then from an exercise standpoint, it sounds like do as much as your body allows uh, from the beginning is your advice. In terms of cardio, you have seen that your patients normally can do some cardio after a couple of weeks, whereas for lifting weights, that's at least um, six weeks. Is that right? Yes. The lift weights and overstretching. I mean, I cannot imagine of anything more stretchy than swimming, for example. Mm. Okay, that should at least at least six weeks. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so certain sports or uh, endure, activities that um, some people might think of as cardio, like swimming, would be best left for when it's no longer a problem to stretch your arms overheads. Yes. I, 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 I had a, a patient very recently, uh, he's into wall climbing, mm -hmm. definitely six weeks. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I, I've had a client who did not intend on having top surgery, but uh, uh, we've learned together that yeah, wall climbing can really affect uh, your ability to move your arms overhead and generate a lot of soreness, even if you're not looking after any um, surgery procedure. So that makes a lot of sense again. So thank you for explaining that. I also do want to point out to uh, the listeners who may not uh, know very much about top surgery that you don't need to be afraid that you're going to mess it up. When, for example, when my clients have had top surgery, they can tell me, um, oh, when I move my arm up to this level, it's fine. But if I raise it anymore, I start feeling the scars stretch, yeah. so I stop. So I just want the listeners to know that you're not going to not notice that something is wrong. Like you're not going to mess it up by accident. You're, if you pay attention to your body, you're going to feel the scars stretching and you're going to be mindful of that and be able to stop yourself from making any movement that's, uh, that, that would not be helpful for your recovery. Definitely. I mean, if you're a, a reasonable person, you should listen to your body and stop when your body says that's too much. Okay. But but there is another element there, exactly what you're saying. It's not only about ra uh, range of movement, it's also about considering your posture, mm -hmm. which will change significantly after top surgery. And and you have to be conscious about it. You have to to pull your back back, to try to, to, to roll your shoulders back too. So there are things that might feel a bit awkward in the beginning, but you will get used to your new body. It's, it's, it's probably impossible to hurt yourself by trying to, to reach you know, a range of movement that you had before surgery. Okay, that makes sense. And yes, it's a good point about posture because depending on the size of someone's chest, your center of mass can change completely. Mm -hmm. And it's not only that, it's because uh, some people will hunch mm -mm. trying to trying to quote it, hide their chest or accommodate mm -hmm. their clothing. 
And if they're doing that for years, it takes a conscious effort to teach your body again to stop doing it. And, yes. and definitely a personal training could help on that direction. Oh, yes. I've had plenty of clients after surgery telling me I was hunching over for years to, as you said, hide my chest. And now that it's not there anymore, I'm still doing it. So with that, um, as we talked about at the beginning, yes, building your pectoralis major is going to be helpful potentially for a certain look. But also after top surgery, training your entire body is going to be important. And in terms of posture, for somebody who wants to get out of the habit of hunching over, you want to complement your pec training with back training because the pecs push and the, the back pulls. So if you want to pull your shoulders back, you need to have back muscles that are strong enough to enable you to do that. And most exercise, well, all exercises for the back will force you to pull your shoulders back as you pull the weight towards you. So they will, they will uh, encourage you to get into that posture, at least while you're training. And then if you make a conscious effort, you'll be able to let that trickle into the rest of your life as well. I think that's a very good point, and I think we should add that to mm -hmm. what someone can start doing before surgery too. So focus on the pecs to help the surgeon and help the, the how aesthetically pleasing will be the chest immediately after surgery, mm -hmm. but train your back too. I think that's essential too, yes. Well, in general, uh, clients who are interested in getting fit for top surgery often wants a physique that's um, closer to what's considered stereotypically male in and even in terms of general musculature. So often they, um, when I program for them, I will focus on the whole body to make sure that their physique is balanced in terms of strength and also appearance. But I will place particular focus on the pecs, the back, and also the shoulders mm -hmm. to strengthen them and also to widen them in order to offset the hips, for example, to create uh, that look that the clients are after. So yeah, uh, basically we agree that uh, a whole body approach with a focus on the upper body and pushing and pulling in particular is going to be helpful before and after surgery then. Yep, sounds good to me. Okay, so I think we have covered a lot of ground in terms of training. I have another question about nutrition after top surgery. So mm -hmm. the way I approach it with clients, let's say that I um, we paused a fat loss phase before surgery, but the client, for their own personal reasons, wants to continue losing body fat after surgery. So maybe they carry a little bit of body fat that six months isn't enough to get rid of and obviously we want to take a long-term approach where we don't lose weight too fast so what happens is that after surgery at some point we will resume that fat loss phase but for the reasons i've mentioned before where we want to avoid muscle loss and we want the body to recover as fast as possible i don't start the fat loss phase again at least until they're able to get back into cardio and also resistance training. So at least six weeks, because I don't want them to lose muscle by getting into a calorie deficit if they're not training. I don't want them to take longer to recover than they could if they're not um, 
if they aren't at maintenance calories at the very least, and I want them to be able to train to support muscle maintenance and growth throughout the diet. Would you agree with that approach? Yeah, it, it sounds good to me. Um, let me, I will, I will become a bit technical. Yes, go on, ahead. On, on how body chest sculpting happens during the operation. Yes, please. Um, creating an aesthetically pleasing outcome includes preserving a layer of fat mm -hmm. below the skin to provide some type of projection on the skin. If all fat is removed during the operation, the chest will become hollow, and mm -hmm. that doesn't look right at all. Mm -hmm. So that layer of fat that stays behind, you, I, you, you know, and most of the listeners will know as well, when we lose fat, it doesn't go away. It just becomes smaller, okay? And when we gain fat, it just becomes bigger. So when, whenever someone after top surgery tries to lose fat, they should do it at the same time by building muscle too. Well, yes. Okay, so that the projection we created on the chest will remain the same. Mm -hmm. Fat goes away, muscle comes in. Yes. Okay. This is why you are always discussing, and and I think I, I think in 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 your um, so you you tell that a few times. Okay. We need to have a diet and exercise. One okay. without the other will never work. Yes, we're in agreement with that because if your even if your only goal was to lose body fat, I would always include some form of muscle building training in the program. Because if all you do is lose body fat, you're just going to look like a smaller, deflated version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you build muscle while losing body fat, you're going to replace the body fat lost with muscle. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to point out, just in case some of the listeners may not know, that this process isn't selective. You can't choose to lose body fat solely from the pecs or solely from your belly or solely from your thighs. Generally, you're going to lose body fat across the entire body and in some places more than in others based on your genetics. Because some people hold more fat in certain areas, other people hold more fat in other areas. So we're not saying that there is a specific program and diet to follow to just lose body fat from the chest and build muscle in the chest. It's more a case of it will happen gradually from the entire body. And depending on your genetics, you may see more fat loss in one area and less fat loss in other areas. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're mentioning genetics because I've seen some of my... I. I I keep in touch with my patients throughout mm -hmm. the years. So, so I've seen, for some of them, I've seen their progress all these years. And some of them will try so hard to build up those pecs, for example, mm -hmm. and they will not get the volume they desire. Okay? It's just, I mean, it will improve, but it will never, for some of them, will not get where, where they want it to be. It's just the genetics. Okay? It will look good. Okay? Some people are more gifted in how their body shapes and how the muscle develops than others, okay? So don't, don't kill yourself over results, okay? Do it for your own health. 
do it to look good, to feel good, and see where, where, where you will land. I appreciate your view. Uh, my thoughts are that, yes, there's definitely a genetic component to how much muscle anybody can build anywhere on their body. I also would want to say that there is science to building muscle and losing body fat. And often it's not only genetics, even people who are working very hard, if they're not following the right principles, principles that I have learned and apply in my work with my clients, they are not going to see the results that they would want. So even if, as you say, they may feel like they're killing themselves trying to build their packs, they may simply not be applying the right principles. And my final uh, comment on that is that it's not only genetics and it's not only principles. There's also a an individual component. When somebody, sa- when somebody is dissatisfied or satisfied with any part of their body, it's down to their expectations. So maybe if you really are dissatisfied with the size of your pecs, Maybe you have unrealistic expectations on how long it's going to take to build muscle and muscle growth is very slow, but also on your own individual genetics. As you said, uh, Mr. Danis, not everybody is genetically predisposed to developing massive packs. And if that's what they want, um, or even massive packs sometimes are not naturally achievable without performance enhancing drugs. So I would invite anybody who's dissatisfied with their packs, as you've uh, alluded to, to consider whether it's realistic for them in, to accomplish that genetically and without performance enhancing drugs. If they're following the right principles, if they're applying the right principles to build muscle, if they have realistic expectations of how long it's going to take. And ultimately, as you said, I would invite them to really focus on enjoying the process rather than trying to get a certain result. Because if you enjoy the process, you're going to be consistent. And consistency is key to achieving the best possible results available to you. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, Nigas. Okay, expectations are important, are important in what I do as well. Okay, and, and and some patients will have unrealistic expectations on how their chest will look after surgery, and this is this is where one consult and one long consultation or two consultations will try and lower these expectations to an achievable result, and I guess it's the same thing. I know most times I don't know if that's the same being a personal trainer. I, I know most times how it will look exactly. It's how to convince the other person that this is the result you are getting. There is not more, more, much more I can do about it unless, of course, you go on enhancing drugs, which is a discussion I really don't want to have right now. <laughs> That's fine. I think performance enhancing drugs are a uh, very life-changing decisions to make so and they're not the topic for this podcast the topic is top surgery which is um another life-changing decision in its own right and i think we've done a good job of providing a lot of value to the listeners today but before we wrap up i wanted to ask you if there's anything that we might not have covered or that we might not have covered with the depth and nuance that you wanted to that you'd like to leave the listeners with not really. I think I think we covered a lot when it comes to to diet and exercising, and I'm happy that we mentioned the expectation bit right at the end. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I want to mention just a single thing, and it has to do with the with the what we said about expectations. Yes. I want patients to try and not compare themselves to anyone else. And I don't know if that's an issue you see at the gym yourself, okay? A result, even if a, a, a body habitus is, a body type is similar, doesn't mean that you will have exactly the same result like that person. Um, everyone is individual. Everyone's skin quality is individual, and that plays a part as well. Um, the, 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 the way we heal is different, and that might reflect on the final outcome as well. So don't compare yourselves. Be open about expectations. Expect your provider to be open about what they can offer you and see where you can meet. That's such a valuable point to end the podcast on, particularly in the age of social media. And yes, in my line of work, comparison with other people is um, everywhere because we on um, because we have Instagram where everybody posts pictures of their most th their fittest looking body and it's so easy to not realize that some of those pictures are photoshopped some of those pictures are taken under specific lighting so that the person looks as good as they can uh, some of those pictures well, some of the models in those pictures will be taking performance enhancing drugs, but they'll not be disclosing it. So it's very important, as you said, to not compare yourself to others, but only to your own self. In, the, in terms of your long-term fitness journey, if you compare yourself only to the person you used to be, you're going to gain motivation from that because you're going to look back and, and see how far you have come. And in terms of surgery, at the end of the day, this operation is going to change your entire life, or at least is meant to change your entire life for the better. So what's the point of ruining that wondrous experience for the sake of some pictures that you might see on social media? Your body is unique and a, a wonderful, resilient machine that you shouldn't feel bad about because you're looking at other people's bodies. Everybody is unique in its own right. You're right, Nikias. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to 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 move away of that culture of image where where, where what we see is so important, but it's definitely worth the try. Okay. You will feel better in yourself. I, I guarantee that. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Mr. Danis. Before we go, please advertise anything that you'd like. If you have a website or a, an Instagram or social media platform where people can connect with you, I'll put all of the links in the show notes for people to find you. I, my website is www.ioannisdanos.com and all the information on what I do is readily available there. Thank you very much, Nikias. All right. I'll make sure to add that to the show notes. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, dear listeners, as always, and I shall speak to you next time. Thank you for tuning in, dear listener. If you want to connect with me or to apply for online coaching or to connect with Mr. Danus, you'll find all of the relevant links in the description below. Thanks again for lending me your attention, as always, and until next time.
Lastly, if you want to support the podcast and help me reach more people, please leave a five-star rating or review on any podcast platform that you're using. Thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you soon.